Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right. Uh, great to see all, you, uh, all of you again, or maybe some of you for the first time. I'm not uh, exactly sure. But my name is Eric. If I have not had the chance to meet you, I would love to have a chance to do that at some point today. Um, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a minute. Um, Super uh, uplifting passage that we just read. I didn't really, I've not heard it read out loud. I've just been like reading it for a couple weeks to myself, but like it's pretty aggressive. I'm not going to lie. But it's good. It's good. So we kicked off a new series last week called Killjoys. So we're spending seven weeks Uh, talking through how to identify and how to deal with some of the most common and some of the most destructive threats to a Christian's walk with Jesus. So last week, Kim kicked us off talking about busyness. And so it was like this this thing that that our culture essentially tries to sell us as like a badge of honor. Um, Talked about how how it can be incredibly harmful for us as followers of Jesus. So today we're diving into another uh, really prevalent and, and sometimes... Uh, A pretty sneaky one, I think. So today, we are going to be talking about apathy. Apathy. Uh, So when we were first talking about doing this series, uh, it was uh, over a year ago. I don't exactly remember when we were talking through it. I remember we listed out all the different things that we were going to be teaching. And I remember specifically thinking, no matter what, I do not want to teach apathy. Uh, It felt way too personal. (laughs) Um, which is a great indicator that I probably needed to volunteer for it. Um, so I did. So I, like pretty much everyone, I think, consistently struggle with several of the things that we're talking about in this series. Uh, but apathy in particular has, has regularly plagued me like few others uh, on this list. Uh, many times throughout my life, I think people, people have said things to me like, wow, oh, you're so laid back, you're so chill, all this kind of stuff that I was like, thank you very much. I receive your affirmation. Um, but they're like, how are you so relaxed all the time? Um, and I was like huge, very high praise for me, um, cause that's exactly what I was going for. Uh, but the reality was most of the time, the only thing that I cared anything about was not caring about things. That was it. It was like priority number one, do not care about anything. That was my secret, right? Can't be stressed if I don't care about anything. Can't be worried, can't be troubled, can't be anxious about anything if I don't care about anything. And on one hand, that kind of worked, but also that ended up leading to all kinds of of different problems for me, right? When you don't care about relationships uh, with people, your friendships suffer. They do. Relationships with other people suffer. When you don't care about class or you don't care about work, your performance tends to suffer. Right? When you don't care about like, hygiene and cleanliness, everyone suffers. Right? <laughs> the list goes on. But I think it's easy for us to, to identify how that example uh, can be harmful in, in a few different areas. Right? The example of me, this lazy 20-something without motivation, neglecting all semblance of adult responsibility. Right? I was so concerned with making sure that I came across 
with a laid-back attitude that I could not be bothered at all, had no time, no energy uh, to be concerned with becoming like Jesus. That was not on my radar. But it's also easy, I think, for us to miss what's going on underneath because that's really obvious to see some of the problems with that because the, the real problem, I think, can work itself out in a lot of different ways, not just in that way. So what about the workaholic spouse? Right? This is a person who spends all of their time, all of their energy, all of their personal bandwidth exclusively on their career at the expense of the emotional and personal needs of everyone else in their house. Right? That's apathy towards their family responsibilities. That's apathy towards investing in the lives of the people that they live with. Or maybe consider the, the single Christian who, who bounces around from one romantic relationship to the next constantly because uh, they, they just have to feel desired. They have to feel desirable to someone. They're just going to keep bouncing around, stringing people along. Right? That, that's an apathy towards their, their need for and their understanding of an identity that is secure in Jesus and, and a responsibility to point other people towards him. Or they'd rather fill their time and use their energy making sure that they feel like someone else wants them. And the list, again, can go on. But today, we are specifically talking about uh, spiritual apathy. And so uh, th- this is the idea of like when you know that uh, Bible reading and, and prayer and church involvement and mission and evangelism and caring for people and living an emotionally healthy lifestyle, all these staples of following after Jesus, you know that those things should capture your heart, but you just can't seem to muster up any interest in those things. You just can't seem to want to do those things. And when you're more or less indifferent to a relationship with Jesus and all that it entails. So the problem with this kind of apathy, uh, it, it's not so much just a lack of caring about everything altogether. That's not the problem with this kind of apathy. Well, I heard one author, uh, and he's a Bible professor, his name's Uche Anazor. He put this really helpfully, I think. Uh, he said, the paradox of apathy is that we are captivated by the things we don't really care about and are lukewarm to the things that in our heart of hearts mean the most to us. We don't act on what we should act on, but we are awakened to the things we should probably ignore. Uh, I did not like that quote when I first read it because I was like, wow, who told you? Uh, But it's like, I feel it deep down. But we're captivated, captivated by the things that we don't really care about, and we're lukewarm to the things that mean the most to us as followers of Jesus. And so this is the exact situation that is going on in the passage that, that Meg read from that we're looking at today. So like I said, we're looking at Revelation 3, 14 to 19. Um, So just for context for you, if you're not uh, super familiar with the book of Revelation, this is a portion of the book where we read from letters that Jesus has written to seven different churches. So Jesus wrote these letters to these churches, offering some encouragement and and talking about some of the things that they need to grow in and things that they need to repent of and be working on. So he goes through all of these churches, uh, and then he gets to Laodicea. This is the seventh letter. And all the other letters, even though they do contain correction, uh, there's something that Jesus is like, but also, like, you're doing all right in this area. Uh, not, not Laodicea. <laughs> if, you read the, if you read the passage, he has none of that for them. Uh, so take a look with me. I'm going to read a few different 
portions of it and unpack it. So he says, to the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. So some translations actually, instead of spit you out of my mouth, uh, say vomit you out. That is the language that is used here. Uh, it is not like a dribble, drool. It's like projectile, getting rid of it. And, and so there's a lot of really interesting things being referenced in this passage, and I don't have time to get into all of it. So if you want to talk the history of this, super interesting. I'll just give you a few, a few points that I think are helpful to what we're talking about today. So Laodicea was an ancient city uh, that was, was really wealthy for the time. It was, it was the financial center of that part of the world when it was thriving. But they also had a significant water problem. So Laodicea was in a location where they did not have their own source of water. They had no, they had no source of water for, for their city. But because they were so wealthy, they were able to construct two large aqueducts from neighboring cities to bring water in. They did have water. So these two neighboring cities, they were Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis was a city that had a natural hot spring. And Colossae, on the other side, uh, had a river that was fed by uh, ice runoff, so constant snowmelt ice runoff. Um, so it was frigid, this water. Um, so there was hot water from Colossae, and hot water at the time, it was really good for, for cleaning. It was good for bathing. It was thought to have a lot of healing properties, um, a lots of a high mineral content. People still think this today. People still go to hot springs for this reason. Uh, so it had lots of usefulness. And then cold water, this frigid cold water that, that Colossae had was refreshing, it was clean, it was, it was fresh, it was great for drinking for, for both people and livestock. It was, it was this wonderful source of cold water. But in Laodicea, because they had to transport the water from both of these different cities, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was not hot or cold anymore right? Uh, it, it wasn't nearly as useful as it was when it started. So historically, water was really useful for things if it was either hot or cold. The usefulness of water was directly related to whether it was hot or cold a lot of the time. So sure, what Laodicea ended up with was water. They did have water eventually, but by comparison to the good stuff, it just, it, it just didn't measure up, right? And I would argue, I think uh, we think pretty similarly to, to this idea when it comes to water, just drinks in general. So does anyone in here like coffee? The amount that we go through on a Sunday definitely tells me there's probably more hands that didn't go up that should have. But uh, I, I personally love coffee uh, very much. I drink what I am told is inordinate amounts of coffee. But that is highly debatable, um, and I do not think that it is a problem. Uh, so... Odds are pretty good, honestly. Don't, uh, maybe you don't have to try this, but odds are pretty good if you walk down the street to Honeybee and you say, I'll have what Eric at City Church gets. They will know exactly what you mean. Uh, odds are pretty good. So I love fresh, hot coffee. I love it. I exclusively order a black Americano, uh, at least in part because it is always made fresh and it is always piping hot and it is always delicious. Uh, it is never too hot for a hot coffee, in my opinion. Year-round, middle of August, give me a hot black Americana. 
always. I love it. Uh, but I also know people that enjoy iced coffee or, or cold brew when it's particularly warm out, right? It's so refreshing, I'm told. Uh, you, you know what no one does, though? Nobody walks into a coffee shop and they're like, hey, do you guys have any uh, coffee that you poured like two hours ago? Uh, like you left it out, hopefully, forgot about it. I would love one of those. Nobody does that, right? Have you, have you ever had the experience where you, uh, maybe you make some fresh coffee, you lose track of time, and then you reach over to pick it up and take a sip, and you, you expect this delightful hug of warmth and, and joy, only to get something that's like the same temperature as your saliva? <laughs> Nasty, right? Nobody wants that. Or maybe you had an iced coffee and you left it in the car and you just absentmindedly grab it when you get back in the car and take a big swig of that like tepid, watered down disaster that it is, right? That's gross. Nobody enjoys that. And if you do, no, nobody enjoys that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm dying on that hill. Um, but that's how Jesus is describing the entire church at Laodicea, right? He is saying... I wish that you were like either hot or cold water, right? I wish that you were useful. I wish you had passion in your lives for things that matter. But instead, you're just lukewarm, right? He says, you, you just don't care, and it makes me want to vomit you out. It's not exactly like the Sunday school drawing of like Jesus surrounded by children, petting a baby lamb, like that very... Loving, affectionate Jesus. At first glance, it seems, that seems pretty harsh, honestly. What would make Jesus say something so strongly to this church? What could they possibly be doing that would make Jesus go so far as to say, I want to vomit you out? Well, Jesus goes on to elaborate for us uh, on their situation. So keep reading. Back in Revelation 3, Jesus says, you, that's the Laodiceans that he's talking to, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So Jesus tells us right here where they have ended up. They, they have arrived in a place in Laodicea, uh, and they've arrived at a place in their lives where they say, you know what, I don't, I don't really need anything. So I don't really care about the stuff that Jesus cares about all that much. I feel like I've got pretty much everything covered, everything that I need in life, so I guess I don't really need Jesus. So they had gotten to a place where they were so completely blind to their need for Jesus because they had gone so long without caring about him and without pursuing him. The sum of all of their apathy had brought them to a place where they were completely separated from Jesus. That's where they ended up. And you may be here and you may feel like you're in a similar place with your relationship with Jesus. Or you may not feel like you're anywhere close to that point, but, but you may still deal with apathy in your life. And it could take all kinds of different forms. It really could. Apathy could look like a, a pattern of, of just not really caring about life, group, and community in your life. Maybe you routinely or maybe you consistently feel things like, eh, life group's tonight, but 
little pretty tired. So uh, work was, was kind of long today. I didn't really love the sermon this week. Uh, I don't really feel bothered to go. I don't particularly want to talk about it. Or maybe it's like, well, I know that the person that I really love being around is not going to be there. Uh, and the people that kind of annoy me are. So I think I'm going to stay home. If that is the pattern of your life, that, that could be a sign of apathy towards, towards community. Maybe, maybe deep down you know that it would be really, really good for you to spend more intentional time with your kids if you have kids at home. You know that that would be great. But honestly, you'd much prefer to just throw a show on again for the seventh time this week, right? Or maybe scroll through your phone instead. Or maybe you, you feel like your spouse or you've said to your spouse that, uh, hey, it'd be really helpful for you to step in. Maybe help, help parents a little more intentionally alongside me. Uh, but it's much more enticing to just chill on the couch again, right? That's just what I do in the evenings. Maybe you know that uh, it would be super helpful for you to have some filters or restrictions on your phone that someone else sets up for you uh, to help just have an additional barrier between you and pornography, if that's something that you struggle with. And honestly, it's just easier not to bring it up, right? I'll just hope for the best next time. And uh, I'll do that instead of taking active steps. No need to tell somebody again. Right? Or maybe when a need comes up in your life group, uh, your default is just to think, oh, surely somebody else is going to deal with that. Right? Someone else will step in. I'll just wait until somebody texts me and asks me to help because they already planned it. Or, or maybe you know that you should spend more intentional time in prayer or more time reading scripture. But honestly, it feels kind of boring. So... I think I'll just keep waiting until it feels more exciting, right? Or maybe until some crisis comes up, and then I feel like uh, I need to flip through the Bible and see what happens. It could be any number of different patterns in your life. And again, patterns is the, is the key word there. But apathy can really easily sneak its way in without us noticing that it's happening. And, and it's not just one decision that suddenly blows everything up for you, right? This is a pattern over time. And the reality is, the church at Laodicea didn't just wake up one day and decide to be completely apathetic towards Jesus, right? They weren't growing and thriving and worshiping and, and loving Jesus. And then one day they get together and go, what if we just, like, don't care about that anymore? Like, starting now. Chances are, what happened in Laodicea was, was really similar to what happens to a lot of us, right? They, they made a series of decisions over the course of their life that eventually led them to a place of complete apathy towards Jesus. Over the course of years, maybe decades, this is what happens. We make a thousand tiny decisions about how to live our life that eventually lands us in a place where we're completely apathetic and separated from Jesus and all the things of God. So, so what I want to do with, the, with our time today is I, I just want to unpack a few things that I think cause apathy towards Jesus in our lives. Um, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't have time to do that. Uh, but these are a few things that I've seen pretty consistently lead people to a place of spiritual apathy. And then I want to talk about what it can look like for us to address some of those things and then hopefully help us avoid ending up in a similar situation to the Laodiceans. So like Kent mentioned last week with the symptoms of busyness, um, you might identify really strongly with one of these things. 
or several of these things, or all of these things. Uh, you might already be aware of that in your life, or this may be the first time that you have ever considered it. Uh, but the goal of all this is to be helpful and hopefully move in a direction of a thriving relationship with Jesus. So hopefully this helps identify potential causes of apathy in your life so that we can address them. So here we go. The first cause of spiritual apathy that I have seen is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. So, so one potential cause uh, of apathy is just choosing to walk in disobedience to God in an area of your life and just not acknowledging or confessing it. Or maybe multiple areas. Right? We, we see in Scripture uh, really, really clearly the danger of not confessing our sins. So here, here's just one example of what David says in Psalm 32, 3 through 4. He's talking about living his life or living a part of his life with unconfessed sin. Here's how he describes it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So have you ever woken up on a, on a beautiful Saturday morning in July? You feel rested, ready for a day filled with fun. It's going to be a fantastic day. No obligations, just having a good time. You have a delicious breakfast, a fresh cup of coffee, nice and hot, right? You put on that outfit that always just makes you feel like you're just killing it, right? You're ready. And then you walk outside, and the swift, merciless backhand of heat and humidity that is summer in the south, right, just catches you off guard. You're instantly sweating. Your breathing is stifled. Your day is just ruined, immediately ruined. It's 9.30 in the morning. It's already 95 degrees. <laughs> just go back inside. We're going to try again in September, right? <laughs> if you've recently moved here from another part of the country, uh, something to look forward to in a few months. But that feeling, that feeling where you just get backhanded by that heat, that's how David is describing his entire relationship with God when he kept silent about his sin. Right? That just blah feeling. Right? He's feeling like he's not growing. He's not thriving. He's not eager at all for fellowship with the Father. He feels like he's just wasting away. His strength is sapped. And over time, so is your desire, his desire to do anything about it. So it's not so much that any time that we sin, God takes a step back and distances himself from us. That's not the case. But when we repeatedly choose to sit in the reality of our sin instead of in the reality of the cross, we distance ourselves from God. Right? God stays in the same place. But we construct a wall between ourselves and him. We lock ourselves on the other side of it. So it very well could be that living in unconfessed and unrepentant sin has led you to a place of feeling distant and maybe outright cold towards God. That could be the reality. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking of like this, yeah, I can think of something that I have definitely not told anybody about I super don't feel like it, and that is uncomfortable and unpleasant. That could be a contributing factor towards, towards apathy towards God, just in general. It, it very much could be. That's something to consider. So another potential source of apathy in our lives uh, could be neglecting spiritual disciplines. So when we neglect to spend intentional time 
in fellowship with God, it inevitably causes us to be less and less interested in it over time. You cannot grow in your affections for something when you do not invest in it. You just can't. Think about any relationship ever. Just imagine you have a spouse or a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or even just a close friend. And you say to them, hey, I love this whole relationship thing we've got. Big fan. Uh, what if we talk like an hour a week? Maybe. Probably more like two hours a month. We'll give it that. Uh, I think that's really going to help our relationship thrive, honestly. That sounds ridiculous, right? Because we know that's not how relationships work. That just isn't how it works. Without consistent, intentional time invested, a relationship will not grow. And, and you also start to see a phenomenon start to happen. You may have experienced this in different areas. The less time you spend with someone over time, the less likely they are to be on your mind and to be on your heart. And Paul, Paul draws a really similar connection, actually, in Galatians uh, when he's talking about our habits and this feeling of spiritual deadness. So in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, uh, Paul says this. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Right, pay attention right here. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. So if, if the spiritual disciplines in our life are the primary means by which we grow in our relationship with Jesus, I think it's really easy to see when we think about it that neglecting those things will create distance between us and Christ. It just will. That, that is the inevitable end of that. So one last cause of apathy, and then uh, I'm going to dive into some, some of how we can respond to that. But we, we talked about this. It's, it's directly related to what we talked about last week, um, and that's filling our minds with triviality. Filling our minds with triviality. So this is filling our minds with things like TV shows or social media or, or gaming or constant 24-hour cable news, all of these different things. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. I want you to hear me say that. None of those are just inherently wrong. But they can very, very quickly fill our time and fill our minds to capacity. Right? Spiritual apathy and busyness like we talked about last week, are far more connected, I think, than we, would, than we would like to admit sometimes. We've said it every year in our formation series over the past five years, and we are going to keep saying the same quote by James K.A. Smith. And he said, the things we do do things to us. Right? The things we do do things to us. So our minds are going to be filled with something. And whatever we fill our minds with is then going to form us to be certain kinds of people. And it's going to form our desires, and it's going to form our interests. We live in a time and in a society that exalts entertainment and personal enjoyment above pretty much everything. And there is no shortage of things to find. There are countless things vying for your attention all the time, constantly being thrown in your face to the point where we get to a place where we are unable to distinguish between what is and isn't important. We just can't distinguish it anymore. We don't know. 
Uh, one author named Neil Postman said it this way. I thought it was super helpful. He said, the public has been amused into indifference. Yeah. Uh, and I think the most dangerous thing about it is we often can't even see it happening. Be- because we, we can't see the magnificence and the glory and the beauty of these spiritual things in a world that is filled 24-7 with entertainment, with things that are always filling our minds and filling our time. We are consumed by the trivial, and we are blind to the glory of God. But the irony with this, I think, is is it's so clear to us that indifference to something that is really significant is a cause for concern. We understand that when it comes to other things in our world. Let me show you what I mean. So when I stand at my kitchen sink and I am washing dishes, I've got a window that looks over my backyard. And if I look out on that backyard, uh, it's fine, right? It's relatively flat. That's a plus for Knoxville. Uh, It's fenced in. I love that. It's mostly intact. That's great. Uh, But it's pretty unremarkable, honestly. And when I look at it, it stirs nothing inside of me. It doesn't. Other than a little bit of dread when I think about how long it's been since I've picked up after the dog, right? I'm just going to keep putting that off. But I'm not awed. I'm not moved, right? I, I, it's unremarkable, right? Remarkably unremarkable back there. Now think about if I was standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, or if I was standing before Victoria Falls, I, or I was surrounded by the majesty of the Himalayas, and I had the same response. And I was like, eh, that's pretty lame. Right? Unless I'm an ornery 15-year-old, that's concerning. <laughs> right? That's a weird thing for me to say in that situation. Because that's absurd. It is clearly breathtaking. Something that incredible, that magnificent should stir something inside of me. And the same would go for, for tragedy, too. If someone were to come with me with horrific news about a, a sudden death of a loved one or, or a personal disaster of some kind... And my response was just to shrug and be like, "Uh, okay, (laughs) oh well. You would correctly think, what is wrong with you? Because something clearly is, right? How could you look at something that is so worthy of your attention and not care about it? But that's exactly what happens when it comes to spiritual things. In a world that is completely full of stuff that has no eternal significance, it becomes more and more difficult to feel the weight of something that is actually a big deal. When we fill every single moment of our lives with feeble attempts to find meaning and to distract ourselves, we just don't have the capacity to care about things that matter. We don't. If you didn't have a chance to listen to the teaching from last week, I would would really encourage you to do so. It unpacks this idea in much more detail. But I do think that this is one of the primary sources of spiritual apathy in followers of Jesus. And I think with all three of these, and I'm sure with other potential causes of, of spiritual apathy, the end result over time is something really similar to the Laodiceans that we mentioned. Right, through their indifference towards the things of God, or through being lukewarm, as Jesus describes it, they eventually got to a place where they just felt like they, they must not need him. Right? We don't really care about him, so we must not need him. 
unaddressed apathy eventually builds up a callus towards God. Right? The thousands of decisions that we make or don't make over time lead us to a place of perceived self-sufficiency. Right? I don't really care that much about the things of God. I must not really need God. But the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to sit in our apathy. Right? We don't have to end up in a place where we are completely indifferent towards God. We don't have to get to a place where, where we feel like we don't need him in our lives. And Jesus gives us the solution. At the very end of the Revelation passage, look back at it. Jesus says, so be earnest and repent. Now, maybe that seems like an odd instruction for how not to be apathetic, right? Be earnest. Repent. You might be thinking, ah, see, that's the whole problem. <laughs> I am not earnest. I don't feel earnest. I don't want to repent. Uh, I'm actually apathetic. That's kind of the whole issue. We tend to think that if we don't have a desire for the things of God, if we don't feel a desire for the things of God, then ah, there's just nothing we can do about it other than wait around for that desire to stir up. Hopefully we can just perpetually wait until we care again. Until we have a desire to repent, we won't be able to. But if you hear nothing else from today, please hear me say this. You are not enslaved to your desires. You are not. If you are in Christ, you are adopted as a child of God, and you are not a slave to your desires. Even if your desires right now are for things other than Jesus, even if it feels like you just don't have a desire for anything that Jesus cares about or you're apathetic towards him, you do not have to stay there. Jesus said it so clearly in his letter, right? He says, be earnest and repent. He wouldn't have said it if there was no hope. Think about this in the context of any other sin struggle, right? If someone you knew was, was cheating on their spouse, for example, and you went up to them and you were like, hey, I really think that you should not. Like, you should repent of this. And they say, well, you know, I would, but I don't feel like it. So I won't. Uh, you would hopefully tell them, honestly, that's completely irrelevant, right? Uh, you should repent, whether you want to or not. And as you repent, you should also ask God to change your heart towards that sin. And the same goes for apathy, right? A lack of desire for God is something that we can repent of. And it can sound so simple, I think, but if you've ever been in a place of apathy, that can feel insurmountable. Right? I have been in that position where it's like, I would love nothing more than to care, but I don't. So what I want to do is just end today talking through what it can look like to take some active steps away from our apathy and towards Jesus. And I want to make it very clear, these are steps. And the nature of steps is that they need to be repeated over time with consistency to accomplish anything. Right? It does not happen immediately. We make a thousand tiny decisions before we find ourselves completely distant from, distant from God. So it makes sense that overcoming apathy would be a long-term process too. 
So here's a spoiler for you. Uh, the steps out of apathy are pretty much the same as the steps into it. Just reverse engineered. Right? So here we go. Big picture categories that can have a lot of different practical outworkings in your life. But first, you can cultivate honesty in community. Cultivate honesty. So honesty as a follower of Jesus means consistently confessing our sin and consistently talking about our need for Jesus with other followers of Jesus. As with everything that is harmful to our walk with Jesus, apathy thrives in darkness. Apathy towards God sinks its teeth in deepest in isolation. So regularly practice confession and confess concretely. I have said this before up here and I will say it again. If we sin in specifics, we should confess in specifics, right? Including apathy. And part of cultivating honesty is, is choosing to be around and to confess to people who will actually push you towards Jesus. So if you only ever selectively confess that you're struggling with gossiping to the people with whom you are gossiping, odds are pretty slim they're going to challenge you to grow. They're not going to call you out of that. They're going to be like, well, that's a weird thing to say, but let's keep going. If I only talk about how I'm struggling with apathy uh, towards reading scripture with people who have not cracked a Bible in 15 years, they're not going to see the urgency for calling me to repentance. Not one of those people is just going to magically end up reading their Bible more. Well, they, I mean, Jesus can work, obviously, but you should choose to spend time and confess with people who are going to push you towards Jesus. Cultivate honesty with people who are going to hold you accountable in your walk and be that person for others, right? Be the person who follows up. Be the person who, who sets reminders to text that person who said that they really tend to struggle at most, the most, at night, right before they go to bed. Set a reminder, text that person. 1 John 1 tells us uh, there is no darkness in God. Right? It says we should confess our sins to one another and we can walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. Right? The book of James says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So we should actively be cultivating honesty with one another. Next, uh, we should cultivate affection for God. Cultivate affection for God. So how do we do that? How do we grow in affection? Uh, I, I talked about it briefly earlier. I mentioned it, but one primary way we grow in affection in any relationship is through intentional time. And with God, it is no different. Spend time with God. Spend time cultivating the spiritual disciplines. And you can start small, right? Remember, we said change is gradual and takes consistency. So start wherever you are right now. So if you drive to work, if you commute to class, whatever it is, spend five minutes in your trip in prayer. Pick a different kind of prayer each day of the week. On Monday, spend five minutes thanking God specifically for things in your life. Tuesday, spend five minutes praying on behalf of other people who are in your life. Maybe Wednesday, spend time praying for opportunities to bring up Jesus with your coworkers or your classmates. Five minutes. Maybe you can set a goal to read one chapter of Scripture each day. 
or one section of scripture if you can't get through a whole chapter. Read when you wake up or on your lunch break or before bed, whatever it looks like. That's, that's a goal that Sarah and I have been working on this year is to read at least a chapter of scripture together each day uh, out loud before we go to bed. Ask someone else in your life what they've been reading in scripture. Share with them something that you have been reading, something that you have learned. Right? We just talked about this one, but fast. Fast once a week or once a month or however frequently you're able to. We just spent four weeks talking about this one. So I'm not going to go into too much detail, but this is a great way to intentionally cultivate affection towards God. And if you want to look in more detail, if you go to our website, go to teaching, we have five different years of of these formation series that we have done. And we have covered incredibly practical ways to learn about and implement those spiritual disciplines. We've talked about prayer, Bible reading, rest, uh, mission, fasting, all of those things. Start by picking one and dive in. And then start working on others as you go. And lastly, uh, cut back on trivialities. Cut back on trivialities. Uh, so a lot of what Kent talked about last week in regards to eliminating busyness would fall into this category. Uh, but I also want to list a few specific examples of what repentance and proactiveness can look like in this area. Um, because if I were on that side, I would choose to totally ignore that point without specifics. Because this is something that I struggle with the most. Um, so for some people in the room, the most beneficial thing for your relationship with Jesus right now might be canceling Netflix or canceling HBO. That might be the best thing for you. Sometimes the best way to get the ball rolling on change is to completely remove the source of whatever is consuming your time. Right? Similar to what Jesus talked about when he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So another potential for you might be deleting or, or at least limiting social media. That could be Facebook or Instagram or, or TikTok or Reddit or whatever you spend the most of your time on. Uh, one person that I know is, is the way that they are doing this, they're taking one day per week, one week per month, and one month per year off of all social media. That could be a great option for you, especially if you're unable to remove them uh, or it maybe seems like that's just too big of a barrier. I couldn't delete those things. Maybe for you, it's staying away from online shopping platforms. Even if you aren't buying everything, some of us still spend hours upon hours browsing and dreaming about what it would be like to have whatever we wanted at the click of a button. Often at the expense of spending some of our time prioritizing relationships, both with people and with Jesus. Maybe you could accomplish all of those things in one fell swoop, uh, in some part, by just restricting your phone's screen time. Almost all modern phones have a feature where you can set time limits on certain apps or on, on certain things on your phone. And when you reach it, it locks you out of those things. And they are password protected. So give it to someone else. Give it to someone in your life group. Give it to your spouse. Let them set the password for those limits so that you don't know it and you can't bypass it. I'll be totally honest, uh, I probably need to do this. Um, I checked before teaching today, it was a huge mistake, but I checked, uh, and my daily average screen time, my phone congratulated me 
on decreasing by 25% to an average of five hours a day. This is a decrease of 25% from last week. I am not proud of that. Uh, and it certainly puts in perspective how much wiggle room I actually have in my daily life. And if you're sitting here and you heard that and you're like, oh, five hours isn't that bad, this one is for you. <laughs> right? I, I want to encourage everyone, everyone who is here, to at least consider some of these. And it will probably look different for different people. It probably will, but I am confident that at least most of us in the room would benefit greatly from pushing back against apathy in some of these ways. And the list could go on. I know it could. But the point is, we do not have to stay stuck in apathy. We don't. We are invited into so much more. And, and not only are we invited, but we are also empowered. We are invited and empowered through God's Spirit. All of these things that we can do to move away from apathy and towards zeal for Christ are given life through the Holy Spirit. Right? That, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the Spirit who lives in all followers of Jesus. That is the Spirit who gives life to our efforts. It's the Spirit that filled Jesus. There is no greater example of, of zeal. There is no greater example of caring than what Jesus did on the cross for us. Jesus was not apathetic at all towards the cross or towards us. He could have been. He could have been, but, but we have the perfect example of what it looks like to, to pursue everything with zeal to push apathy aside and to, and to move towards God with passion. I just want to end uh, with, with a passage from Romans 12, and then we'll wrap up. Romans 12, 10 through 12. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Right? So the point of all of this is not, hey, do better. That is not the point. The point of all of this is that we have something worth caring about. We have something worth caring about. What Jesus did on the cross, the majesty of the Father who welcomes us in, is worth caring about. It is. And again, what better example do we have than Jesus? There is no greater display of passion, no greater display of love than, than Jesus' sacrifice for us. And the Spirit empowers us to move in that direction and empowers us in our repentance. And we are invited to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So what we're going to do here in a minute is, is we're going to take communion like we do every week. And and it is a reminder of, of exactly this. It is a reminder of the steps that Jesus was willing to take to pursue us. It, it's a reminder of, of the zeal that he has, of the passion that he has, of his love for us and how he, he sacrificed everything 
to be able to reach us because of how deeply he cared and how badly he wanted that. And so when we come to the tables, that is what we are being reminded of. And that's what we, we get to do together. And so uh, if you've been around for a while, you may know this, you may have seen this happen and not know. Uh, take communion with somebody else who's around you. Take communion with your life group or people who are sitting with you as a reminder that we are in this together. Jesus died for all of us. And we are following him together as one body. And we get to, we get to be a part of this together. We get to pursue repentance together. We get to pursue Jesus together as we call each other to repentance, but also encourage each other with the truth of the gospel and the power of the spirit. So I invite you to do that at any point during the next few songs. But I invite you to pray with me.